have audiences become the show, and that's never good. It just means none of us are going to have any heroes again. You know, we're not going to see yeah. a James Dean or a John Wayne or <clears throat> or anybody like that. Yeah, I don't think. I, I think our. I think what we'll have is stars that you never heard of that you suddenly hear sure. of that make forty nine million dollars and then you never hear about them again. I mean, we're same with the charts. A song can be number one. Yeah. Then you look for, for it the next week, and it's fucking not even on the chart. You know, that's us. That's cultural ADD. We're the people who buried Mozart in a pauper's grave. I'm, you know, I'm. I spend a lot of time on the internet, as is as is the nature of my job, and I'm still consistently amazed at some of the kind of rabbit holes that I go down in terms of what's out there. Because you know, I, I heard I heard you talking about this a little bit before, and and you know, I, I definitely agree with you in terms of popular music and what you hear on the radio but I, I do think that there's there's a lot of good and interesting stuff out there it just doesn't necessarily float to the top yeah, I, I, there's positive shit uh, like um, like record companies turning into dinosaurs that's not, <laughs> that's not bad publishing houses is the same that, yeah. that's good um, I, I, as long as we're getting to the truth that, like you know I've spoken to uh, journalist conventions yeah. of high school journalists you talk about the whole audience of people who come from all over the state, say, mm. of Texas. I did mm. one fairly recently. You're not going to find a better bunch of kids than these. And you know they're, they're after one fucking thing, searching for the truth. Yeah. They really want to find the truth. Yeah. Then the minute they graduate, or they go to college, graduate, that all ends. I mean, if they're staying in journalism, it's no longer a search for the truth. I mean, if you want the truth, you're a fucking idiot. You know, you're... Um, what it is is whatever the agenda of the newspaper is. I mean, the the it, it's ridiculous. The the media are being a journalist is is it's mm. almost impossible to search for the truth. Yeah, and to make any money words, doing it. You and I find what we like. You like yeah. you like uh, Donald Trump. You look at this channel. If you like <laughs> Bernie, you, you look at this one. And now, personally, at the moment, um, politically speaking, you haven't asked me, but I'll. Well, I was I was I was about to get there. I am supporting Bernie yeah. at this time, um, mostly because I want to see a G in the White House. <laughs> but seriously, if if Bernie wins, if he wins, it will be the first time a Jewish family has moved into a place that a black family has just moved out of. <laughs> Are you actually supporting Bernie? I feel like you you probably see at a little, moment, yes. little bit of something in Trump and Bernie. I like both of them. Yeah, yeah. the uh, raconteurs. Well, I like Ben Carson too. I like yeah. I, as far as Trump's concerned. The, for me, for the presidential race, mm. um, I think we should take the measure of how the man has grown has grown in office, not where he came from or who he was. An example would be FDR and uh, and Churchill, two born aristocrats, Mm -hmm. disgusting, aristocratic freaks. And, I mean, Churchill never did anything before his man came and dressed him and brought some Mm. little whiskeys and things he had to have. You know, he couldn't travel without, you know, without his valet and his life. Anyway, that's how those guys started. But something happened, you know, and they 
developed a palpable bond with the common man. Both of them did. So when they died, the grief was really real. They were not aristocrats. Yeah. Uh, they were beloved by the common man. And uh, that's a measure of growth in office. You get to a position of power and you realize the power suddenly. And what do you do? Truman's another one yeah. who his own party regarded as a caretaker. They, mm-hmm. Nobody. He's a failed haberdasher. Even the hat shop, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Truman uh, was not only became a great president, but became one who made decisions that affected the lives of millions of people. And he got it right. I mean, he got it right. He didn't call a focus group. And, you know, he he did it. So he, would, he became a great president in office. Um, Obama... Uh, has has not grown a millimeter. He just hasn't. You measure him, you know, how tall he's become in the wall. He hasn't. I I don't see it. I don't see any growth at all. Jimmy Carter is a good example of a of a smart man and a kind man who was a fucking Sunday school teacher who should never have been president. He grew a lot after he yeah. left office. Well, we can look at. Was that after? Well, a lot of the, um, you know, just in terms of, you know, all of the humanitarian work and stuff. Oh, no, no, that's all great. I'm yeah. talking about being a Sunday school teacher. Mm. You say he was never a Sunday school teacher before? Oh, that I'm not, I'm not sure. I think he was. He was, yeah. he was a peanut I, farmer, right? Yeah, well, that doesn't bother me. The, no. the peanut farmer's perfect to become a great man, but the mentality of a Sunday school teacher is not what you want in the White House, mm. and especially now. Yeah. Because our shit's fucked up. Are you... Uh, are you out of politics for good? I think so. Yeah. I don't fucking know. I'm just just too tired? No, no, I'm not too tired at all. I just, uh, you know, it's a, as I've always said it, politics, poly means more than one, and ticks are blood-sucking parasites. So limit these bastards to two terms in office, term limits. Two terms, one in office and one in prison. I think that would go a long way toward resolving the problem, which mainly is, that we're not inspired by any of these guys. None of them. In America, in Africa. I think you know about Mandela listening to the song, yeah. Ride of Jew Boy. Yeah, smuggled in. Yeah, it was just thinking, you know, he didn't tell somebody get Kinky Friedman's yeah. album from 1973. But it happened, and when it fell into his hands on Robin Island, he could have played Get Your Biscuits in the Oven and Your Buns in the Bed, which was a very <laughs> catchy song, or something else. And... Now we get all this from the guy in the next cell, who worked for Mandela, who was a his right hand man, Tokyo yeah. Seshwale. Spelled he's now running for the sex whale. Well, he's the one head of FIFA, I think, at the moment. He had a what? Head of FIFA. He's running for the head of the uh, international soccer league. Is what? What's his name? To- Tokyo. Tokyo Seshwale. Yeah. yeah. You're kidding me. For the uh, you know, Sepp Blatter step down in disgrace. Oh, shit, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So the last couple of days, I think he put his hat in the ring. Um, so what 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 clicked for you? I mean, you know, obviously there's a lot of people out there singing about these things, you know, or or uh, you know, leading leading protests. Um, what actually clicked in you that you needed to take that next step and step into the political arena? I think what JFK mm-hmm. always wanted was for guys like you and me to get into government, get into politics, mm-hmm. and the opposite has happened. Mm-hmm. So now we we really do have a criminal class. Mm-hmm. And uh, our great American philosopher, George Carlin, is absolutely right. It's the illusion of choice. If you really think there's a difference between voting for Hillary or voting for Trump, you're wrong. You know, there is no difference. Uh, There might be a slight difference because Trump, like him or not, 
is not corrupt, then he's from the outside. He and Bernie are from the... Bernie's from... Who knows where Bernie... Bernie could be completely insane, you know. It's possible. He's older than me. And I'm 70, though I read at the 72-year-old level. So... But you know, I guess I guess the question then is, um, you know, when when you look back and you've done all these myriad things, you know, you've written books, you've you obviously you're. I almost you're, swallowed my microphone. And you almost swallowed a microphone. Um, is there any regret of not just kind of like focusing on on one particular aspect of your career? Would have been better. Yeah, yeah. curse of being multi talented. I don't <laughs> recommend it to anybody. Um, I am pretty sure from the way. The loneliest man I ever met. That song yeah. is connecting with people um, better than uh, Nashville Casualty and Life or Sold American. Mm. Who were also those were songs about Nashville too, and I think they were maybe better songs. I'm not sure, but Will Hoover and I wrote wrote the loneliest man I ever met when we were struggling songwriters. And I'm thinking back. That's a very pure state mm. when you're a struggling songwriter. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. a wonderful kind of way to be and if you want to be miserable like like this record has been called various things solemn or whatever uh, it's been called some very good things and just in the reviews that have come in like this week one of them said um, this is not a record this is a work of art mm. another one said this is a mirror um, whatever the hell it is it's romantic in the sense that um, it's tragic yeah like true love results in a hostage situation every time. It just, and if you can get there, Brian, if you can get to where you're really melancholy, yeah. to where you're miserable, you got a chance. I mean, you got a chance to write stuff as great as Willie and Shel yeah. Silverstein and Roger Miller and Merle Haggard and Christofferson. Yeah. Tom Waits. Tom Waits were able to do. This was not written. Jimmy Webb, another one, all written in a kind of short period yeah. of miserable time. Well, Willie's arguably his three greatest songs were written in one week. And that was the week that his car had a bunch of flat tires, that yeah. he had no money, he had three starving kids, and and his wife and him weren't getting along, and he was playing at some club that didn't pay him, you know, and driving across Houston to get to this gig in his old jalopy. And it was terrible, really bad times. And that's when he wrote Nightlife, uh, Crazy, and Funny How Time mm-hmm. Slips Away. And that's no accident. I mean, so I fight happiness at every turn. <laughs> and, and, and success distances you from your art. Mm. And no question about that. So you got a, a Billy Bob Thornton is right. Stay hungry if you yeah. can, if you can stay hungry. I would add to that that just be miserable. I mean, look, look at Van Gogh's career. Look yeah. at Mozart's career. Um, Look at these people, and great work is never done by a guy yeah. who sits down and says, I'm going to paint my masterpiece now. At, at the end of your life, though, great, having done great work trumps happiness? Well, you're asking, does having done great work... You know, it's precluded happiness. You, you, you didn't let yourself be happy. You know when you when you, you know well, when well, you're looking you know, back on things. Well, look, being a miserable old fuck is not going to, <laughs> you know, you don't automatically become an artist. But yeah. I've said that uh, anyone who's ahead of his time and behind on his rent is an artist. Uh, so I guess 
I'm agreeing the audience has become the show. Mm-hmm. Some of the audience is more talented than, than others, of course. Um, how do we know when a guy gets as good as Bob or Willie? They're so great. You and I could write a mediocre piece of shit in here. And one of them could sing it. Mm. And people say, that's pretty good. You yeah. know? And it really wouldn't be very good. Yeah. In fact, they could write that kind of shitty song. <laughs> and they're such good performers that they can bring it home. Um, I don't think the culture... I think it's an it's a ADD culture. We're navigating a Miley Cyrus world. <laughs> And who's that motherfucker in Canada? Can never oh, Bieber. Justin Bieber. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I like that, how he knew exactly who you were talking that, about that, when that he said that motherfucker in that's Canada. It, that's the description. <laughs> Ever since the guy a few weeks ago in, in UPS store in Kerrville, Texas, told me I look like a white Richard Pryor, he said. Huh. And I was very flattered yeah. by that. And I have been peppering my dialogue with motherfucker <laughs> a little bit more as a result. And also, I think if Richard Pryor were around, they're coming up right now, he'd be a homeless person. Yeah. That's what I think he'd be. Were you, uh, I mean, were you miserable when you started, when you sat down and started putting together the record? No, but I was badgered half to death by um, the producer, Brian Molnar, from New Jersey. And Brian is just a guy I met about 10 years ago at a show yeah. or something. But he's a, he's a purist. You know, he knows a lot about music. And he just somehow got my voice right that sounded really good with this kind of, I don't know how he did it, a big, giant, old-fashioned microphone and these baffles around it, not using a studio. Yeah. And using one or two uh, instruments performed by really talented people. Joe Cerati is a guitarist, and Mickey Rayfield is, um, of course, on harmonica. And, and it just, um, and somehow the album conceptually flows, and it breaks just about every rule, and, and it was certainly not intended to be an um, educational tool for millennials, but if they listened to it, they would hear some songs that I think are significant. Now, they are, I'm personally involved with almost every song, yeah. but um, they're not just important songs or big songs, but they're they're significant and uh, it's what songwriting is about some of them are are great Warren's song My Shit's Fucked Up is is I think transformational I, I think it's more than just a, a guy who's dying of cancer yeah yeah it's and Waits it wait, Tom, Tom Waits has been to all 50 states and, and the broom closet of the Tropicana Hotel <laughs> uh, that Christmas card from a hooker in Minneapolis yeah. Is turning out to be so good, the audience is laughing about halfway through the song. And depending on how hip they are, you know, sometimes they've heard it, but usually not. It's a funny song. As well, yeah, it's funny it, it, in it its own way, yeah. Well, and then it's it's a beautiful fabrication. Yeah. I mean, this hooker yeah. Yeah. has has really, you know, this bit about the, um, she had all the money she used yeah. to, we used to spend on dope. I'd buy me a used car lot, wouldn't yeah. sell any of them, <laughs> just drive a different car every day depending on how I feel. It's a heartbreaking song. Yeah. And there's a lot of us in her. I mean, really, if I ask you, how, how are you doing, Brian? Everything going, you know? Yeah. You'd come up with a bunch of bullshit. And you know, oh, yeah, man, this job is great. You know, family, or, or whatever you'd tell me. But a lot of times it would be a lie. It would not be true. 
you're living on a ranch with with a with a bunch of dogs. I mean, that sounds like a pretty happy life as far as those things go, right? That's a pretty good place to be at seventy. <coughs> yeah, it is, and you can import people, you know. Yeah. Uh, there was a time recently when I had four editors, four dogs, and four women, and but that became hard to juggle and balance. So. Um, and I'm also mindful of not being too happy. Mm. You can add to that you don't really want to be too successful. I mean, you can almost chart the work of these guys. And when you get to a great Christopherson song, yeah. it was written when he was really <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. Willie did his best writing when he was uh, stoned, didn't have a job, lived in an old trailer park, and then just wrote Hello Walls. Um, his one friend in town was the craziest guy, Roger Miller, in, in all of Nashville. Roger Miller used to come visit him at this trailer park. He was the only one who would go in there because it's in East Nashville and uh, it was a bad area. And on the, on the trailer next to uh, Willie's is a, is a little sign that says trailer for sale or rent. It'd be a good lyric for a song. Might be a good lyric for a song. And uh, that's when Willie said the happiest, he was only happy, felt comfortable at peace when he was sleeping in the back seat of Roger's station wagon. And now when those guys left Dodge, when they got out of Dodge, things really changed in Nashville. Now you've got songs by committees. You've got click tracks on everything, which you definitely won't hear on The Loneliest Man because um, already a number of people have mentioned to me that Bloody Mary Morning is out of sync, that mm. it's out of rhythm. <laughs> It's not out of tune. It's not out of tune, and it's it is spontaneous. Yeah. It's infectious. It's spirited, and it does sound like it was done in a bar room or someplace in West Texas. And uh, yet, it works. Most people who are not musicians love it. They they, they really like it. And uh, I was going to say something about uh, yeah, Willie's been doing this for sixty five years. Mm. Literally, he's been doing an out of sync or out of rhythm. In other words, he's deliberately, consciously out of step. And man, that is important for for an artist. I mean, that's a, a lesson right there to be out of step if you can. And sometimes it doesn't pay off in your lifetime. You, you, you said this as we were walking in here before we turned on the mic. Said that Willie was the one who convinced you to. Um not just do the tour, but do back-to-back dates. And it sounds like that's played into that a little bit, that sort of that, that discomfort that, they, you know, you're, you're having some of your best shows right now because you're not taking breaks in between. If you fail at something long enough, you become a legend. That's <laughs> what uh, Willie said. Um, but, yeah, this idea is it's worked for me, too, in Germany. It worked absolutely great. You just, uh, you're, you're really running on adrenaline, yeah, and you you. Uh, and people notice that. I mean, uh, the young people there, man, they would come up and they'd say, that show was pure. Kinky. Yeah. It was a, and it was pure because I'm hearing Johnny Appleseed speaking to me or Jesus Christ <laughs> or Hank Williams or somebody. And it's, um, that's why. I mean, you do not, you really don't know where you are. Mm-hmm. And you find your mind wandering, especially when you're doing a solo show mostly. You know, Joe Cerati comes in on the last four songs, but before that, and they've been really nailing it. It's, this has been easy and fun, very natural. I noticed another thing of both Bob and Willie, and that is they play a lot of guitars out of tune. Mm. I mean, they 
they like for the instrument to be out of tune. They don't want you or me or some producer fucking with it yeah. and tuning it for them. And the producer will say, it's fucking out of tune. He's going to record now. Both of them do that. Uh, I think that's more than coincidence. I think when you're great, now maybe you challenge yourself that way or maybe yeah. you, a spiritual slack key kind of a, an approach. I, what's what's interesting? I mean, this is, I think this is especially too, it's true with country music, and I was noticing this uh, particularly on your record because it's so, you know, minimal. Because it's you know, as you're saying before, it's kind of your, your voice and you know maybe a guitar or two. Is that I think it's particularly with country music, um, voices tend to get better with age. You know, I mean, you when you really from all the smoking, you're, you just lit up a cigar right now. All the all the smoking and the drinking, they add something to the voice. Yeah, and I think somebody once told Sam Cooke that he had a beautiful voice. <laughs> and he said, the voice don't have to be beautiful. You have to believe it. And Brian told me that just before we started recording this. And um, he also had some really good questions that I think make him a good producer. I mean, a good description is like, Little Juford, who's a Jew and he drives a Ford, he's an original Texas Jew boy, was playing piano <laughs> on the Tom Waits thing. Mm. And I told him, I don't think you should hear Tom's version of this. Yeah. Because it's yeah. fucking a, like Toulouse-Lautrec playing. Yeah. You know, it's brilliant and it's, and it's going to affect you. You can't help it. Oh, it's like, Imitate. It's like the old days when I played the, um, the Troubadour in L.A. Yeah. And, and Bob Dylan was there. One of the nice, the Jew boys were playing him. And he told our road manager, do not tell Kinky I'm here. He said, it will subtly change the show, and I don't want that to happen. And by the time the road manager got to me, I told him, hey, guess what, Bob, don't. <laughs> you know, so. And it did change yeah. the show. It's better to play for strangers totally. That you, you know, What the fuck was I talking about? There was really, it was on, finally it was a cogent kind of a thing. Uh, oh, Juford. <laughs> Juford, yeah. Listening uh, to Tom Waits. Uh, uh, two things, wait, that he said. Uh, one he did with me, uh, with Juford, Juford said, how do I fucking play this thing? Mm. This Tom White song, Christmas yeah. Card. And um, Brian told him, Karawakian piano. And it was like a big Hollywood director, you know. <laughs> Karawakian, Juford got it immediately. And I got it, so Coffee House, Beatnik. Yeah, uh, Beatnik, sure. Got it. Yeah. He did one take, and he nailed it, yeah. you know. Um and the other thing was going to be something that Brian told me that just basic. That I don't know, but we used the Frank Sinatra method. If we didn't get it on one or two yeah. takes, we threw it in, the, tore it up, and threw it in the fire. And then we, yeah. you know, it's the same reason you ran on a typewriter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's kind of if you're a creative person and you rely on the internet or the whatever it is, word processor too yeah. much. I don't think that's good. I think it breeds mediocrity, and uh, also. Let's let's go for the truth ourselves. Let's not let's no, social networking mm. um, purvey a, a fraud upon us. And I've described this: the, the danger of the internet is, let's say, there's a 57-year-old um, pedophile in New Jersey, hypothetically. <laughs> sure, and, sure. And there there is. Another man can today. Yeah. He will use the internet to pretend to be. Say a 26-year-old surfer in San Diego, 
And this guy contacts a 13-year-old girl in Montana who really is a middle-aged vice cop in Miami. That's where the Internet is headed, I believe. And, uh, you know, while you can Google some things that are interesting, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of stuff out there that isn't necessarily the truth. I mean, anybody's Wikipedia or whatever yeah. that is is bullshit. Mine is total bullshit. I'm looking at it. And I mean, I even look at it. Somebody showed me this, yeah. and it's just not true. I get it. We're, uh, I'm running out of my a lot of time, okay. and, and I have to ask you. And this is this gets back to Tom Waits a little bit. I um, had heard you tell a story about uh, I think going to see uh, Bo Diddley with Tom Waits, and, and he turned to you and said something along the lines of, you know. If, if I'm if I'm that age and still performing, stop either stop me or kill me. I can't remember which one it was. No, but do not let me. When I get that old, do not let me yeah. get on stage. Was that ever? Um, did you ever think that at any point that uh, at some point you would just have to stop playing music? Well, I took a I took a many decades off yeah. from. I haven't. It's not as I've been playing. I wish I had been, uh, but life gets in the way, and. Um, the curse of being multi-talented is a true curse. Uh, and you can see it that I may have more fans in a basic area mm. than the other guy. But if the other guy is Leo Kotke or somebody that's a pure yeah. musician, the club emails everybody. And, and the people that like Kinky maybe like in Australia, they all bring books to be signed, you know, at, at a concert. Now, why is that? You know, they're a literary country maybe more than we are. Mm. But... And then again, it's all I don't know it's such an indefinable thing, inspiration, and you never know who you're going to yeah. reach. You never know. And the Mandela story is a beautiful example of it. And so is the kid that was interviewing me. A kid may be a 47 year old man to me. How old are you, Brian? Uh, 34. 34. That's a good young age. Um, but but the Mandela thing. I strive to be um, significant. Mm. And that group of people are the ones that are beloved by German young people today. Uh, and that's Hunter Thompson, um, yeah. Robert Mitchum, whatever, yeah. Abby Hoffman. Kerouac. Kerouac. Um, Dylan. Dylan, yes. Dylan will go in there. Troublemakers. Uh, but a lot of them are like Graham Parsons. Mm who is probably more well-known in Australia and sure. Europe than he is here. Yeah. Um, but they're Grand Parsons, Grand Parsons types. Who'd Van Dyke Parks, yeah. uh, Shel Silverstein, um, Warren, Warren Zevon. Perfect. More on the fringe, you mean. Kinky Friedman. I'd like to yeah. be Iggy Pop. I'd like to mm-hmm. be with that group. I think that's, that's a group that um, Barbara Jordan always throw in there because she should have been president. But um, but now you see what we got. What we call cult figures now. All right. If we'd had a cult figure, I'd, I'd say something that would be great. Um, we don't have anybody that yeah. that can reach a cult. Hmm. We've got a president that can't even inspire black people or young people. And there's nobody else around that can either that's in politics. And in Africa, do you see any little Nelson Mandela's rising up anywhere? No, you don't. You do not. You see black leaders that are imitating colonialists, the brutal, corrupt colonialists, except they're black. That's the only difference. 
And uh, so I think the guy's right. All I started to tell you what the guy said was I said that, um, um, I don't know what the fuck I said, but this kid, oh, the kid was saying, Kinky, he's saying if I had a choice between playing in the stadiums and making millions or knowing that a song I'd written had been listened to in his prison cell every night by Nelson Mandela, yeah. he said, I'd be you. I'd be that guy in a heartbeat. I wouldn't even think about that one. And that was a delightful um, observation on his part. Think about that for a second, though. He's a young person, yeah. yeah. If I was his age, I'd probably agree. Yeah. Uh, now, I'm just trying to achieve my goals as a young person to be fat, famous, financially fixed, and a faggot by 50. There you go. That was Kinky Friedman. Utterly fascinating conversation with an utterly fascinating guy. I hope you got uh, as much out of that as I did. I feel like it should have done a better job setting the scene. I know we, you know, we did a rare disclaimer at uh, at the top of the show, but I should have painted a painted a picture for you. So we we recorded that conversation at BB uh, King's Bar and Grill in Times Square. Um, so there are two uh, two green rooms. Two, two backstage spaces at uh, at BB King. One is one is right off the side of the stage. That's where most of the people were were congregating, sitting around and and, and and talking. And then there's a secondary green room. If you go around the corner, a much larger, more cavernous cavernous space that uh, actually nobody was occupying for us because everyone was just jammed into this tiny room up front. But we 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 went back there. You know, brought a brought a couple of, of, of beers with us. Had had some uh, opened up some 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 Cuervo. Um, and and Kinky just proceeded to kind of chain smoke his way through through several cigars. Um, it was a long, fascinating, interesting night. That was uh, I can't remember the last time I had a conversation where I had to go and actually dry clean my clothing the the next day to get the uh, the smell of cigars out. But um, really, really, really fascinating talk with him. Um, he's uh, as, as he said during the conversation, seventy years old, but reading at a seventy-two year old level, and I feel like he's. I, I think it's safe to say he's packed 72 years of, uh, of experiences into his, his 70 years. Uh, politician, uh, author, you know, musician, obviously, and highly recommend this this new record. Uh, really fascinating. If you get a chance to see him, absolutely uh, do that. Do that as well. It's a very um, very kind of singular experience. But the new record, which we touched upon, I think, quite a bit during that conversation. Um, Really, you know, even even if you're not familiar with his music, uh, really worth worth checking out. Um, very, very intimate, quite minimalist. Um, the the this is a little cliche, but the the closest comparison that I can come up with are the uh, the Rick Rubin Johnny Cash records. Just really stripped down. It's you know most of it's just him and and you know maybe a guitar or two and a, a piano at, at some point um but uh you know and I, I said this to him during the conversation and and i think it really does hold that um country music i think country music along with maybe um blues you know are are two of the few genres where i think voices really get better with age and that comes across here and and um wonderful way you know man it was we smoked many many cigars and 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 drunk uh, quite a bit of tequila i assume over his uh, 
over his 70 years and that that comes across in in, in his voice and uh really really wonderful record so um check that out thank you so much to to kinky for taking the time to do that and thanks to kinky as well for um just kind of uh inviting me backstage to hang out for the rest of the night um heard some some really 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 interesting bits of gossip none of which uh unfortunately i can um None of which I can relate to you at this point with that uh, uh, fear of, of litigation. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll, uh, I will be describing the, the, the night in a little bit in, in, in fuller details. I've got an article for uh, a publication coming out in, in the near future about uh, uh, the, the live experience in Kiki's New Records. So stay tuned for that. I'll be posting that through the RIYL channels. Uh, so thanks so much to, to, to Kinky and his producer Brian and, and everybody for being so nice about that. Thanks to uh, Carrie for setting that interview up. Uh, thanks to Brian, as always, for editing the show together. Uh, thanks to everybody at the uh, Boing Boing Podcast Network. If you like this show, there are many other fine podcasts for you to check out over there. You can check that out, those out over on iTunes. And while you're over on iTunes, take the opportunity to, to rate this program. And remember that the views expressed in, in this interview are not necessarily the views of RIYL, nor, nor, uh, nor are some of the uh, the word choices. Um, if you've got any feedback, it's RIYLcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Tumblr, RIYLcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all of your RIYL related information. Uh, lots and lots of good shows coming up, uh, so stick around. We will be back just about this time next week with another episode of RIYL.